Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, we come now to a really important part of our worship, and that is to open up God's Word and to allow uh, Him to speak to us. Uh, this book, written over thousands of years and written completed a couple of thousand years ago by various authors, as a living, breathing book. It's, uh, it's alive. The Word of God is uh, living and active, it tells us in Hebrews, and it truly is. It uh, really does speak into our hearts and uh, reveal to us our Creator and reveal to us our Rescuer and our Saviour and reveal to us how we can live a life to bring glory and praise to him. Uh, Currently we're going through uh, a series in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, just tracing out chapter by chapter at a time, and uh, building a large picture of Jesus here so we can be transformed into his image. Uh, Over the last few weeks we have been watching the Olympic Games, the Paralympics just finished last night and uh, previous to that we had the other Olympics uh, taking place as well and there's been a number of great stories that have come out of the Olympic Games uh, over these past month or so. Uh, One of the best I thought from a Christian perspective was the story of Nicola McDermott, the high jumper. Uh, She gave an incredible testimony to her faith after winning the silver medal. Uh, She was very natural, she was very authentic and wonderfully bold about her faith and just quite joyful about her faith as well after she had won that silver medal in the high jump. I've read Nicola's story before a couple of years ago actually and shared it with our youth group back then and really love her take on life, particularly when she's feeling awkward in those early years during school when she was sort of just tall and gangly and a bit maybe uncoordinated she thought. But in that she found a community of faith, she found a church that loved her and accepted her and within that community is where she discovered who Jesus Christ is and made him her Lord and Saviour. Uh, Nicola then went on to say in that testimony she sort of gave at the Olympic Games was that she knows why God created her tall. God created her tall to be able to do the high jump and to glorify him through that. And that's for Nicola what it was all about. She had discovered that, that it is, what it is to high jump is to do it for God's glory, to display his greatness out through her life in that ability to high jump. Now for her life isn't all about high jumping, Life is all about Jesus Christ and she gets to demonstrate some of that through high jumping. She's she's using her God-given talent to glorify him. We're going to see that today as Jesus instructs the disciples here to live faithfully through the gospel before him, to live out the gospel faithfully before Christ uh, with their God-given talents and giftings that he's given to them as well. So please, if you've got your Bibles, go with us to uh, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read from verses 11 through to 27. Starting in verse 11, uh, Jesus says this, And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten miners and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. 
When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your miner has made ten miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your miner has made five miners. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the ten miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten miners. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can uh, come and open up your word today. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just grant us uh, eyes to see what is happening here in this passage. Jesus, teach us, we pray. Teach us this morning as we listen to this word. Teach us to be faithful with what you've given to us. Not to hide it, not to waste it, not to lay it away, but to be faithful with what you've given us. Help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're walking through Luke's Gospel here to build a picture of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Jesus, along with being our Lord, is also also our teacher. He's teaching us how to live now so that we will honour him and also to live lives of fulfilment and purpose as well, to enjoy the lives he's given to us with great satisfaction and fulfilment. Jesus teaches us here to live this life in the context of a fallen, broken world amongst many, many good things here, but it's still a fallen, broken world, a broken world that's mixed with pain, disappointment and heartache that we all experience here as we live in this world. And it's as we see Jesus amongst all of this that we are filled with hope and confidence and strength to actually overcome this world and to enjoy our Lord through it all. Uh, Where is Jesus at the moment? Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan of salvation by dying on a cross for our sins. And incredibly, as Jesus is speaking here to the disciples in this passage, he's probably only weeks away from dying on a cross in Jerusalem. And what Jesus will do here as he's talking to these disciples, he will correct their thinking about his kingdom. He'll also teach them how to live now as they wait for his kingdom to come in its completion in the uh, decades, well, centuries to come. And the kingdom still hasn't come at this particular time. Here's our big idea for today as we think about that, and it's this. As we live the life God has for us, he wants us to faithfully use all the talents and gifts he's given us for his glory 
and our fulfillment. That's the big idea. That's where we're going to be heading as we open up this passage. There's stacks of things we could talk about here in this passage, but that's the direction we're going to go uh, today. Uh, Here's the scene. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem to die, but the disciples don't fully get what Jesus is doing or where Jesus... They know he's going to Jerusalem, but they don't really know where he's going, and that is to death. And verse 11 here actually gives us the context for this parable, for why Jesus spoke about that. Let's go back to verse 11 again. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He proceeded to tell a parable because of those two things. He was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was coming. They actually thought that Jesus was about to march into Jerusalem as the king, take over the world, as it were, establish his physical kingdom here and now in Jerusalem in a few weeks' time. He would push back the Roman armies and he would re-establish Israel as the world power of the day. And their kingdom would rule over the world. That was the whole mindset of Israel at that particular time as they thought about their Messiah, as they thought about their Saviour. They didn't see the spiritual element that was here. They just thought, no, there's a kingdom coming. It's going to be a physical kingdom. We're going to reign in this kingdom and we're going to rule the world again. Well, that's what they thought. So Jesus told this parable here to correct their thinking and to give them a whole new perspective on how they are to live. In some ways, uh, Jesus is the nobleman here in this parable. And in other ways, he isn't as we go through this. A nobleman here, he goes to a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. This is reflective here of Jesus, as it were, going to heaven in physical form and then returning again a second time to come back and to re-establish his kingdom. What does he do in this story? The nobleman here hands out ten miners to, to ten servants. Each one receives the same amount. Each servant receives one miner. Now you may even be asking right now, what's a miner? Is that someone who digs in the ground to go find gold or something? No, miner, M-I-N-A, is a value which is equivalent to about three months' wages. So for our speaking today, maybe fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars of money. And what does he say to them, this nobleman, to these servants? He says, engage in business until I come. He gives them instructions on what to do. Engage in business until I come. The nobleman goes and receives his kingdom and after a long time he comes back and now he calls his servants here for an account of what they've done. The first servant comes back and says, look Lord, your miner has now made ten miners. And the second servant comes back and says, look Lord, your miner has now made five extra miners. Now Jesus' response here to this first servant is really key as we think about where he's going here with this parable. And we see that response in verse 17 as he's responding to that. And he says this, And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The key word there is what I just emphasised, faithful. That's what Jesus is talking about here, being faithful with what has been given to them. What does faithful mean? Faithful means to be obedient in our duty, to be loyal, to stay true, to be faithful to somebody. Uh, These two servants actually just displayed that for us. They were given a task by by their master and they didn't deviate from it. They were given a miner and they put that miner to work. They engaged in business as they were told to. And the nobleman says, well done. 
You've stuck to the task. You did what you were asked for. You stayed loyal. You stayed true. You were faithful. Faithfulness is a wonderful thing. Uh, we've got a beautiful dog at home called Susan, and she's really faithful. Uh, we go for walks around the orchard, which is about a four-kilometre walk as we go around the, the orchard, and there's a whole range of things for Susan to do when she goes around the orchard. There's all sorts of distractions for her, things to smell, birds to chase, and hares to run after, and she does plenty of that, and we let her do that. But what we do is we call out, Susan! And she could be 100 metres away or 100... If she hears her name, she turns right around, she faithfully comes back and sits at her feet waiting to be patted because she's been called to come back. And she'll run away 50 metres, we'll call Susan, and she'll just turn around and come straight back and do it all over again. She's incredibly faithful. She does what she's asked for. We have two dogs. The other dog's called Millie. She's not quite as faithful as Susan. You call out Millie, she doesn't hear you. She just keeps going another direction. Not Susan, though. She's faithful. She does what she's asked. This is what Jesus asks us to do. As we wait for him to return, to fully complete his kingdom, Jesus asks us to remain faithful before him, sticking to the task, as it were, that he's given to us, remaining obedient to his commands, staying true and loyal no matter what we're facing or no matter what we're up against. He wants us to be faithful. And that's what the first two servants here demonstrate for us, this faithful obedience. Okay, the nobleman now comes to the third servant and asks him for an account of what he's done with the minor that was given to him as well. And in verses 20 and 21, the servant says, I hid your minor. I kept it out of view so that no one could see it. I wrapped it up in a handkerchief and put it away so I couldn't get lost or stolen because I was fearful of you, master. I, I know you to be a hard man reaping where you haven't sown. And, and look, here it is. Here it is. I didn't lose it. Well, the nobleman replies, you wicked servant. That's your perception? Is that what you really think of me as a hard man? I gave you this. Now, that's probably unlike Jesus in that description, thinking he's a hard man. Well, then the master says to this unfaithful servant, well, you should have put my minor in the bank. You should have gained, You should have done something with it. You were lazy. You were wicked. You were unfaithful. You were disobedient. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. You just kept it to yourself. You had no loyalty for me as your master. You didn't really recognize me as your master. You just did what you wanted. You didn't do as you were told to do. That's unfaithful. So the master says, take that miner from the wicked servant, take it away from him and give it to the other servant who's produced ten miners. Now that's the story there of these faithful servants and an unfaithful servant with the miner that was given to them. What are we to take away from this as we think about this parable here, what Jesus is talking about? As I said at the start, there's a whole range of things that we can see here. But we're just going to focus in on this. In a real sense, the minor, M-I-N-A, represents the gospel. It represents the good news of Jesus made known to all people. Everybody hears the gospel. Some people are like the two servants. They receive the gospel and then they put it to work in their lives. They actually take something with it and they begin to let it transform their entire lives. And this is what Jesus is doing here with the disciples that he's talking to about that. 
He doesn't want them to be under the illusion here that the, his kingdom is about to be completed right before their very eyes and thinking, well, I've got the gospel, I can just sort of sit back and relax. He wants the gospel to go deep in their hearts and in their lives. He wants them to be faithful with the gospel that he's given to them to live it out, to be faithful for them to live it out. Now, the disciples at that particular time would have understood it clearly in the moment what Jesus was talking about in this parable. Probably a lot of it would have went right over their head. But down the track, afterwards, when the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt them in, uh, in completion... It would have made known to them again as they reflected back over this parable again of what Jesus was saying to them about this, the minor, the gospel coming in and transforming every part of who they are. Now it's the same for us today, just like the disciples back then. We are to be aware of the second coming of Jesus Christ, but we aren't simply meant to be waiting in the departure land with our bags packed and a ticket in our hand ready to jump on board. Just Jesus, we're just going to wait here. You tell us when that um, call's coming and we'll just jump on that plane. Jesus is not looking for that. He wants us to be faithful, living out the gospel, working with the Holy Spirit to see the gospel transform every part of our lives, putting it to work and engaging in this world. He doesn't want us in the departure lounge. He actually wants us back in the city, letting the gospel work out through our lives. And this, we have to do this with this transformation of the gospel happening. We have to do this with the sure hope of the second coming of Christ. We don't put our head in the sand about that, but we don't, attention, we don't put all of our attention and focus on thinking, oh, when's it going to happen? We live out the gospel here and now. Well, what does it mean then to be faithful in Christ? Faithful in the gospel, being called to be faithful with what God's given to us, just like this minor being given to these servants. Well, how do we answer that question? To answer that question, we really need to understand, well, what's our purpose in life? What am I here for? God, why have you created me? Why have you made me the way that I am? Really important questions, probably the foundational question of anybody's life. And I think everybody asks themselves this question at some point or another during their lives. Isaiah 43 gives us a really clear picture for why we've been made. It says in Isaiah 43, 7, this... Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Your purpose, my purpose in life, is to live for God's glory. We are created for the glory of God. We are created to glorify him in every aspect of our being. God is our creator and he has created us to glorify him. Now you might have a question there again, so what does that mean to glorify him? What does it mean God's glorious? What does it mean to say that God you are glorious? What does this word glory mean? Well I was asked this question the other day by somebody and this person particularly loved playing guitars and I said to them, what if I brought to you this guitar and it was in the case and I flipped open the the case and you saw this guitar there and you thought this is a glorious guitar. What words would come to your mind as you uh, envisage that taking place? You would say, this guitar is beautiful. This guitar is perfect. This guitar is just amazing. Look at the shape. Look at the picture of it. Look at the way it works. Look at the sounds that it makes. This guitar has, as it were, an awe about itself as it nearly glows out of this case. So those sort of thoughts we have just then, 
perfect, amazing and awe. They really are just a dim shadow, a really dim shadow of what it means to say that God is glorious. Everything that we can think of that is amazing or perfect or powerful or beautiful or awe-filled or joy-filled, we would have to take all of those thoughts and then multiply them by infinity and even then if we did that, we'd be barely touching the edges of God's glory. We can't conceive of how glorious he is. But we've got to grasp what this is, that we've been created in the image of God to reflect out his amazing perfections out through our lives. But because of sin, we don't really get a clear view of God's glory, and particularly if you're outside of Christ and haven't become, haven't become followers of Jesus. It works like this if you're in that situation. You see the sky... But you don't think of God's glory when you see the sky. You just call it Mother Nature instead. Listen to the weather reporters each night. Mother Nature put another great display on for us today. No. God the Father put that display. That was his glory being displayed in the sky, not Mother Nature. And if you're outside of Christ, you don't see Jesus dying on the cross and see God's glory in that. All you see outside of Christ is, well, that's just a story out of an old book. He's just a good person dying on a cross. You don't see the glory of God in that. Something needs to take place in our hearts and minds to see the glory of God. And that is the miraculous grace that God gives to us, that he opens up our eyes where once we couldn't see that glory, now we can see that glory and we begin to perceive of a glorious God. We hear the gospel, we hear the good news, and the Holy Spirit opens up our ears to take that in, to believe that, And that changes everything. Everything, not some things. Everything. Jesus has given us this gospel and it's like the miner in this parable. Everybody receives the same gospel. And Jesus now expects us to take this gospel and to shape every aspect of our lives with it. Every aspect of our lives with it. And to live it with truth and faithfulness in every way. And Jesus means every aspect of of our lives not just some not just some parts of my life and and other parts of my life are for me like now Jesus you can have my Sundays but the rest of the week is all mine or Jesus I'll give you my meal time and I'll give you thanks for the meal but the rest of my time well that's sort of my time Jesus Jesus wants to transform every aspect of who we are Look at how Paul sees it here in the book of Corinthians where he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul gets it. He really does get it. I'm not sure how you understand that word whatever there in the middle of that verse. But let me tell you what it means. Whatever means everything everything there's nothing that isn't covered by everything everything or whatever we do is to be done for the glory of God whatever you do so faithfully in the Holy Spirit's power we take the gospel we take the truth of Jesus Christ and we see everything about us transformed everything about us transformed to bring the to bring glory to God So that that is that our lives now are an image or a reflection of the holiness, the beauty, the joy, the truth, 
everything about God that we can possibly conceive and perceive of out through our lives in every aspect of who we are. Well, you may ask, well, how does that look? How does that work out through my life? It's important again to remember that God has created us all very uniquely. There's much that is similar with all of us, but at the same time we are unique in God's limitless and immeasurable creativity. God's given us all gifts and talents and abilities, and some of us share the same gifts and the same talents and the same abilities. And with all of these abilities, all of these abilities, Jesus expects the gospel to transform them for his glory, to live that out. The Holy Spirit empowers us to then faithfully live out the gospel through these abilities and gifts and talents he's given to us as one aspect of our lives. Maybe you're a mechanic. Maybe you've been gifted to pick up tools and fix up cars or motorbikes or tractors or whatever. Well, you're not just a mechanic. You've been, you're, you're created in God's image to reflect his glory through the God-given skill of being a mechanic, being handy with tools. So faithfully, faithfully you carry that task out with obedience to God. You should desire to do all work truthfully, with quality workmanship and with a cheerful attitude to all of your customers or wherever you may be working. Why? To show God's glory through what he's gifted you with. Not just a mechanic. Maybe you're a school teacher. Teaching students. You've been created by God in his image to reflect his glory through the God-given skill of teaching. Teaching. Faithfully you carry that out with the gospel transforming every aspect of who you are. You love your students. You care for your students. You take a genuine interest in them even when they are difficult to teach. You care for them and you seek to bring the best out of every single student that you're working with. And you do this with a cheerful attitude, even when it's really hard. Why? Because God's gifted you that way to live for his glory. Maybe you're a farmer and you work the land. You've been created by God in his image to reflect his glory through the God-given ability of farming. What do you do? Faithfully you carry that task out with the gospel transforming every aspect of how you farm. You'll farm with honesty. You won't cut corners in dishonest work. You'll work hard as a farmer. You'll have good relationships with all your agronomists and you'll have a cheerful attitude about what you do even in the hard days, even when it's not raining, even when the crops are down. With cheerfulness and trusting in God... You glorify him through farming. That's what God calls you to do and expects you to do. Now I could put a whole range of activities in. I just chose those three. But you could be a taxi driver. You could be working in admin. You could be a builder. You could be a tradesman. You could be doing a whole range of things in that area. Jesus has given us the gospel not only to save us, but also to transform us. And he expects us to faithfully live that out in every aspect of who we are and to await his appearing, living out that glory through the way he's created us and gifted us.
Now, as I said before, sometimes the gift settings are different for all of us. Some of us may have a few gifts and some of us may have more gifts. It all depends how God and what he's done and his sovereignty and his all-wise knowing. He gives out as he thinks what is best. But here's what God expects of us with those gifts and talents we have. He expects us to be faithful with what he's given to us. God doesn't expect us to be faithful with what he hasn't given to us. You might want another gift that someone has, and you might desperately try to be good in that area, but it's just not going to work for you. God's not looking for you to be faithful in that. He's looking for you to be faithful in what he's given to you, the gifts that he's given you. He wants you to be faithful there. Today's Father's Day. That's a gift. It's a glorious gift that God's given. An ability to live out the gospel faithfully, in your family. Uh, Jesus expects us as fathers to live out the gospel in and amongst our family, to show them who Christ is. Uh, what is your most treasured possession outside of Jesus? It is your family. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got four children, Bree, Chels, Gabs and Elliot, and a dog called Susan as well. Well, I do love her as well. But my family is my eternal flesh and blood people that have come uh, created by God. They're a treasured possession. And I get to have this privilege of being the father of these four people. Three daughters and a son. Here's what I get to show them. During these really oppressive COVID circumstances, I get the privilege to live out the gospel faithfully before them. I get to show them Christ living out through me during COVID. What can I show them? I can show them this, that God is our strength in the times of fear and uncertainty, that we don't have to be fearful of diseases or viruses. Sure, we do all the right things and follow all the right recommendations and do the things that help keep the virus away, but I can show them that I don't have to be fearful of those things. I can actually model that to them. And even if we were to get sick, and even if I was to die because of COVID, I can still show them that I don't have to be afraid. Why? Jesus is my saviour. Because Jesus lived, I too will live, even if I was to die from COVID. I get the privilege to show them that as a father. In times of restriction, when we can't be with others during this COVID time, Fathers can remind them of something really powerful. We can remind them of this. We can remind them of why the gospel community, our church family, is so important, critically important. What we're doing today isn't church. What you're doing today sitting home in your lounge rooms is not church. It's a way that we can encourage each other, but it's not church. And as fathers, we can remind our families, guys, this is not church. This is why we make it a locked-in priority Every week, we want to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged and build up. And we look forward to that day again when we can do that. Fathers, we can tell our family that right now. Let's actually learn something from this, that we really value God's community, that he's placed us in brothers and sisters with our other family, the family of God. Here's another thing we can tell them. When the world, world around us is losing hope, and there's despair in every corner during COVID. People's dreams are being crashed and crushed. We as fathers can faithfully lead our families and remind them we have another hope. We have an eternal hope that not even COVID can crush. Nothing can touch this hope. It's eternal. It rests within us. And we look forward to its completion in the days to come, the years to come when Jesus returns.
Nothing can take that hope away and we can remind our families again, fathers, about that hope. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And at times like COVID, we can remind them of that. So here's the other beautiful and powerful thing here about living faithfully for Jesus in gospel transformation. It really is a life that frees us into glorious purpose and fulfilment. It really does. It sets us on a whole new perspective at looking at life. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does within us with the gospel. It gives us a new perspective of what we're living for. I'm not struggling here in this world and striving to build my kingdom about all I can achieve and accumulate for my name. Because if I take that path, really that's a short-sighted view of this world and it's wrapped up in a dead end if it's all about my kingdom. But when I'm living for another kingdom and another world, it's totally different. And that's what Jesus has done. I'm working with him to build his kingdom that he's already established here on earth. And he graciously invites me into his kingdom through his death on the cross for my sins to say, come and work in this kingdom with an eternal purpose. And the confidence that Jesus gives us in that is this. We can stay faithful in that kingdom because Jesus was perfectly faithful for us already in going to the cross. He perfectly was faithful before the Father and paid the debt of our sin and now calls us into that faithfulness even when sometimes we may fail. Jesus' perfection covers that for us and we can get up again and remain faithful again. And when we get that, when we understand that's the kingdom that we're now living for, it gives me a bigger vision. Not in this world, although I'm still in this world, but it gives me a bigger vision that's beyond this world. And that vision invites me into seeing something that's eternal. Something that I can invest into my families right now. Something that I can invest into my workplace or career or wherever I am. It gives me a bigger vision here and that fills me with massive purpose and energising fulfilment. I get to reflect God's glory wherever I am, faithfully living that out for him. What does Jesus want us to see today? Yep, he's returning someday to bring his kingdom in completion. We've all been given the gospel, we've all been given a minor to faithfully live it out for his glory. He expects us to do that. He really does. He expects us to do that. He empowers us with his spirit to carry that out. And we do that through all the different giftings and abilities wherever God's places, whether they be few gifts or lots of gifts. He expects us to use that for his glory. This is the glorious life that Jesus has placed us in. COVID doesn't stop this from happening. Lockdown doesn't stop. It makes it harder, but it also gives us new opportunities as well at the same time to let this transforming gospel shine out of our lives. Let's not waste our minor. Let's not waste the gospel. Let's, lo- let's use our God-given talent just like Nicola McDermott has. High jumping, high jumping for the glory of God. She reflected the glory of God out through that. Let's be the servant who comes back before the Lord on that last day and says, look, Lord, look at what your minor has achieved. Look, Lord, look at how I was able to influence my family to, see that, to help them see that I treasure Christ and bring more people into his glorious kingdom. Let's not waste the gospel that's been given to us. Let's be transformed and use it faithfully through every aspect of who we are. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you today just to, to thank and praise you again. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your amazing love and patience towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you spent all that time with those disciples. Lord, they had all sorts of skewed ideas of what was taking place. But you patiently, faithfully, lovingly, truthfully continued working in their lives. Lord, we are no different. We can so easily get caught up in our own world. We can so easily get caught up in things that are just secondary issues that take our eye off the ball. Help us again to see what you've given to us. You've given us a minor. You've given us the gospel. Lord, you want us to engage in business. You want us to work it through our lives. You want us to reflect your glory by living faithfully through every aspect of who we are as we await your return. Lord, let us be in the city. Let us be in the country. Let us be wherever you've placed us and let that gospel shine out so that we can bring more people into your kingdom as we faithfully live this out. And Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day with great expectation, with joy and hope in our hearts. The day when the trumpet will sound and that Jesus will return and we will be united with you in perfection forever. In the meantime, Lord, Help us to live for your glory, awaiting that day. Father, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.